Welcome back to the Sporting Capital. Great to have your company right across the SEN network, 0433981116. It is Super Bowl week. Jared Waitley is in town. Ben Graham, Larry Fitzgerald Sr. is going to be on the call as well on Monday from, well, very early in the morning because G. Waitley, he could call anything and he's going to do a great job with the Chiefs and the 49ers. And one man who I haven't spoken to for a while, but I'm looking forward to uh, having a chat to. From ESPN, he is my great mate, Phil Murphy, and he joins me on the line live from Las Vegas. Hello, Phil. Big John, it's always a pleasure to chat to you, man. It's a busy week here. Uh, I I have the time. If I didn't have the time, I would gladly make the time. It's great to connect again. (laughs) You're a good man. Hey, what are the vibes like in Vegas? I feel like this is the one everyone wants to be at. You know, Sin City. what's What's it? Paint the picture for us. Well, the picture right now is a little rainy, but other than that, there's no raining on the parade here at Super Bowl 58. I mean, where I'm standing, you can't pivot, you know, more than 15, 20 degrees as you rotate around and see, not see a sign somewhere advertising the game, advertising the teams. There's a big, I don't know, 100-meter uh, glowing billboard I'm looking at right now, 49ers and Chiefs. But you mentioned the demand of the game. I mean, the Super Bowl is the pinnacle of American sport, right? But the average price of a ticket is the second highest we've ever seen in Super Bowl history. Right now, it's about $9,000 U.S. You do the math, you know, with the current conversion rate, that's what, $14,000 roughly <laughs> Australian for an average ticket. Oh, the boy. only Super Bowl that was higher was the, the COVID Super Bowl 55 that also featured the Chiefs and Tom Brady, and that had a, a, an explicit limit on how many people could be in the stadium there in Tampa at Raymond James Stadium. So for a full stadium, this is the most expensive Super Bowl ticket ever. It's a product of the continual growth of the game and, frankly, the demand to watch these stars perform. Wow. Uh, that is a lot of money, and it's something I would love to do in my lifetime, Phil. But if, if we're talking 14 Gs Australian, I'm not sure it's, uh, it's in my budget at the moment. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, I mean, man, if it weren't for me professionally, my missus would not be, uh, <laughs> not be happy with me if I, if I shelled out that kind of coin. But it's funny, even a... Uh, Christian McCaffrey, kind of tongue-in-cheek, but, I mean, I don't fault him for it. He and his family have said they looked into getting a suite, and with the price of a suite, which, ha- which has, listen, all the bells and whistles and amenities, $2 million U.S. was the going price for a suite for the game. I mean, you're talking a guy who's participating, and in, in he could retire tomorrow and be set for life. He's saying it's an unwise financial decision. But, man, this is, you know, the, the place to be. A-listers, um, you know, wealthy, wealthy people, the, the the elite of the elite, and some lucky fans who have won tickets to the game. They're all they're all going to be in attendance. But even for those who aren't fortunate enough to be here, the world's going to be watching. Last year, 115 million Americans watched this game, more than 50 million addition, additional viewers worldwide. Those numbers will go up. Um, you know, it's just the continual growth of the game. The NFL is a marketing machine. It is an absolute juggernaut. Yeah, and 23 or 26,000 people at Allegiant Stadium yesterday. The festivities officially kicked off. I think the two teams were introduced at the stadium. What, what was the vibe like there? Was it more media or was it all fans? Was it a mixture of both? What was the, what was the vibes like? Mate, mate, you said it. 23, 24,000 people who paid $30 a person. Again, you do the conversion, $45 Australian just to watch players get interviewed. There was no competition going on. There was... There was very little entertainment. I mean, the, the, for their part, the cheerleaders came out and they had a little dance routine, but people were there just to see their favorite players in person get interviewed by, by you know, dopes in suits like me. Um, it was about, I don't know, a 75-25 split for, for San Francisco, and we have some metrics that say on game day it'll be a 60-40 split 
in favor of the 49ers. But, yeah, I mean, that, that speaks to the magnitude of the game. How many sporting toads would be mm. absolutely fine with 24,000 fans paying to show up and watch their game? The NFL puts on a, a, an interview session, and they get that kind of audience, live audience, on a Monday night local, no less. It is staggering demand. Yeah, it's unbelievable to think that, you know, as you said, two teams just, just getting interviewed. I saw uh, Travis Kelsey was getting G'd up by the 49ers fans. He had George Kittle next to him. So they were sort of mingling the two teams. But it's it's such a big part of Super Bowl week, this sort of stuff. And Travis Kelsey feeds off that sort of stuff as well, the uh, the abuse from fans. Yeah, a lot of these players do. And frankly, it, it goes down to the mutual respect between these teams. I mean, you know, fans are always going to be a little hostile toward one another. But these teams, these coaches met each other in a Super Bowl four years ago in Miami, uh, uh, a game that you know, whilst the score was an 11-point spread, the game was far more closely contested than that. It took a comeback. Uh, late comeback by the Chiefs to to get that win in Super Bowl 54. These coaches have earned the respect of each other. They do respect one another, um, and these players do as well. So in the overlap between the media sessions, they had the 10 stars from each team and the coaches cross paths, shake hands, uh, kind of, you know, a, a stare down before the proverbial heavyweight fight. And, and yeah, I mean, it was it was a cool atmosphere to be a part of. But now the teams have gone their separate ways. There are media availabilities that are private just just for credential media like myself. And then, you know, these teams get practice sessions and all that because despite all the pop and circumstance, there still is a game to be played. 60 minutes of football, Sunday night local here in Vegas, uh, Monday morning, if you're watching on ESPN or listening on SEN, uh, Monday morning by you. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get into the matchup, have you have you spotted Jared yet? He's gallivanting around Vegas. He's been in helicopters. He's been on the strip. He's he, he he's like a kid in a candy store at the moment. Have you seen him on Radio Row just yet? Man, he is impossible to miss. I saw him at <laughs> opening night last night. He and I actually had a successive chat to Mitch Wisnowski. Um, I know he's you know a Western Australia product, but still native son nonetheless. And it'll be cool if the 49ers do pull off the win. It'll be cool for for the neutrals, I should say that it would be the first time ever an Australian has played in and won a Super Bowl. Jesse Williams was on IR for the Seahawks who won it a few years ago. And every other Australian who's played has been on the losing side of things. And Mitch said, yeah, it's, it's his second Super Bowl. It'd be quite an accomplishment. So he, we have a, we have an excerpt from that interview that's going to run on our NFL Blitz show Monday morning, or not Monday morning, excuse me, uh, I believe Friday morning on ESPN. But yeah, Jared and I were, were catching up as we were waiting in the queue to talk to Mitch because you know, even though, yes, Australian media has uh, has understandable support and interest in him, he's somebody who, you know, they do love him in San Francisco. He's got he's got that look about him that is easy to cheer for, and you never know, he might be keen to, to go off on a run on a fake <laughs> punt. So um, local media loves him as well. He was in high demand, more so than most punters that I've covered in these Super Bowls. Well, that was going to be my next uh, question. Our man, Mitch Wisnowski, Jared played a bit of that interview this morning on, on his program. We're due to get one. Australia's due to get one Super Bowl champion at some point. Will it be this time around, do you think, Phil? I, I do think uh, I am leaning the San Francisco 49ers, though. The margins are going to be minuscule in this game. It would not surprise me at all. It's Monday morning. You guys are watching confetti fall on the head of Patrick Mahomes and in jubilation yet again. But if not Mitch, I mean, the growth of the game in Australia is remarkable. Jordan Mailata, the Eagles offensive lineman, is the tip of the iceberg. We have more Australians and Kiwis coming through the International Pathway Program. I was actually at the Pro Bowl games in Orlando. They had flag football teams, one from the Gold Coast, one from Auckland, who participated. And the one from the Gold Coast in particular performed very admirably, got a number of wins, 
Um, these flag football programs are, are popping up throughout Australia. The youth game is just another sporting code that's available to these kids, many of whom don't specialize. One of the young men we spoke to, um, you know, was, played a little rugby league, played a little gridiron, so he had some sporting options. And it just shows that we are not done with Australian influence in the NFL. It seems a high priority for the league to tap into some of the athletic talent from your part of the world. And if not, Mitch, soon enough, we're going to see an Australian hoisting a Super Bowl trophy in a game in which he participated. Absolutely. We're speaking to ESPN NFL expert Phil Murphy, my great mate Phil Murphy. Phil, Brazil is the latest to be, I guess, um, thrust onto the world stage in NFL circles. Will Australia get a game, or is it just logistically too hard over the next 10 years, let's say? Over the next decade, I think what's going to have to happen is people will have to see it work. Um, you know, Brazil, it's, it's a far distance, but there isn't much of a time zone difference. It's going to be a Friday Arvo game here, Saturday local by you. And that's going to be a situation in which once the teams travel and it, it runs logistically smooth, the NFL says, okay, maybe this is a game we can do annually. We've seen the explosion in Europe where it went from one game a year to five to seven, and it continues to grow. I think what's going to have to happen is the NFL is going to have to take a preseason game early on, have a team do a little bit of a camp, see the appetite for fandom, whether they put it at the MCG or, you know, in New South Wales at one of the arenas there. And if they go and they sell 70, 80,000 preseason tickets, the NFL is going to pause and say, okay, it's not, should we do this or can we do this? It's how do we do this? How do we get a game there? And I think Brazil is going to be a good footprint. It is a long way. But if you take a West Coast side and say, hey, this is your week one game, neutral site, you know, San Francisco and Arizona, you guys are going to go play a game in, you know, Brisbane or at the MCG or whatnot on a Friday in week one. And you have kind of a, a few extra days to recover and get back before you play a game. I think they will figure out the logistics once the NFL at large realizes the demand and sees it in action. So I think it's a twofold process. Mm. Get a preseason game back there. Fans show out, show up and really continue to have that, that growth and interest that's been evident in Australia, especially over the last decade or so. And then the very next domino to fall will be a regulation, regular season game. Mm. I do think we'll see it happen in the next 10 years or so. I, I'm firmly of the opinion, Phil, we'd get 70 to 80,000 people, if not more, at the MCG. If they uh, promoted it right, if it was the LA Rams or a big team from the West Coast, as you said, with the time difference, it'd be, it'd be a bit easier. I'm certain the MCG would be packed out. We did it for Liverpool, and I think they do it for the NFL as well. Oh, mate, 100%. The sporting appetite in Australia is, is really um, elite. And, I mean, I see it as well. You know, I mean, we, we, do, we do our show. We're stateside. I have my boots on the ground at these NFL sites. But all the TV I do is for Australia. So you're not really sure if anybody's seeing it. But then out on these Monday night sidelines, like, I met somebody who just shouted out, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. And I turned, <laughs> I was like, so you, yeah, you, I, I don't know how you know me, but you do. And he's like, oh, no, mate, every morning he's in Perth. Yep. So for him, the, the time change is even more drastic for some of these games. And he's like, no, 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 you know, my, my son and I, we have our own fantasy team. And that's what the NFL needs to realize. You and I can sit here until we're blue in the face and say, there's a real appetite here. But until, the, until they take the chance with a preseason game first and then a regular season game shortly thereafter, um, that, that's, that's what it's going to take. But for the NFL, they've kind of maxed out their market value here. I mean, if you look at last year, 2023, the top 100 television shows in the U.S., not sports television shows, most 100 watched shows in the U.S., 93 were NFL games. Another three were college football games. That's 96 of the 100. One of the remaining four 
was a TV drama that aired immediately following the Super Bowl. So you're talking the NFL has almost completely maxed out the top 100 shows, television shows on American TV in a year. The only place to grow is internationally. They've had success in Europe. They're kicking the tires in South America. They've had great success in Mexico. Australia has to be the next domino to fall. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. Hey, before we let you go, let's get into uh, the matchup uh, on Monday. You'll hear it here on SEN. You'll watch it on ESPN as well. But the path for both teams, Niners had to come from behind in a couple of games. And the Chiefs, well, they beat up on Miami and Buffalo and, and did it probably the hard way as well. So they're hardened. And I guess the the Chiefs, they're, uh, sorry, the Niners, their ability to come from behind is unquestionable as well. Yeah, and, and that's I think it's played you know in, in their favor internally in the locker room. There's still people, you know, I've had chats like this where they'll refer to Brock Purdy as a game manager, the 49ers quarterback, mm. and I'm like, mate, look at the stats. If you took a blind CV of how these quarterbacks have performed this season, I think you'd have a very hard time figuring out which one's Patrick Mahomes, you know, the multi-time MVP, multi-time Super Bowl champion, and which one's Brock Purdy for the 49ers. I don't think this is a situation in which one team is – incapable of coming from behind i think both of them have the the horsepower offensively they have the 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 type of you know absolute bona fide gun under center at quarterback to come back it should they be in a position where they're down seven or ten points late so for san francisco it's going to be um attacking the the blitzes that they know the chiefs are going to deploy being able to punish when the chiefs either show pressure and come and have the blitz or show pressure and have a sim pressure and don't Brock Purdy's ability to throw outside the numbers and really stretch the field. And then Patrick Mahomes, he hasn't been out outstanding against zone defense. San Francisco loves to deploy that. If he can dissect that San Francisco zone, they're going to have a lot of problems and it's going to open things up for their great running back, Isaiah Pacheco. A lot of different ways these teams can win. And it's what makes this game, one, so captivating to enjoy mm-hmm. as, a, as a fan, but also as somebody in my position who's trying to explain how this thing could go so difficult because there really are a number of variables for how each of these teams could win. Absolutely. And you look at the 49ers, McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Kittle, that's all on offense. And obviously Brock Purdy throwing it to him. And for the Chiefs, I think their only weakness aside from, you know, uh, well, I mean, they've got a, they've got a really strong offensive line as well, but their only weakness might be the wide receiver core. They've got Marquez Valdez-Scantling and, and a few others, but it's not as powerful as the other side of the field. Yeah, and you would think it would be because they brought back 10 of their top 11 pass catchers from a year ago. But, I mean, all year, you're seeing the same tape I am. They're dropping balls. Travis Kelsey, honestly, he's looked old up until the playoffs. And he discovered the fountain of youth in January. And that, for me, is a big question. The momentum the Chiefs built in the postseason, will that continue with the extra week off? Or will they revert to, frankly, the underperforming that we saw for the lion's share of the season? And for San Francisco, they have so many different ways they can beat you, but that Chiefs defense is pretty airtight. They offer very small windows for opposing quarterbacks, very small windows for opposing running backs. It makes the job for Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey pretty difficult to sort out. And the 49ers haven't won a, a Super Bowl since 1994, so you almost think, have to think that the pressure is on them. They want to break that drought. The, the Chiefs, we know how good they are, and Andy Reid has them really well drilled. It's it. it on paper, it looks like a really, really good matchup, and it's set up for a really good Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not advocating one way or another if you're team for a punt, but I think those markets do tell a story in that this game opened with San Francisco as a one-point favorite. It's kind of wiggled around a little bit. They're currently two-and-a-half-point favorites, but the total's pretty low. So what that tells me, 
just from a um, you know an analytical standpoint is we expect a close game. We expect a low scoring game. We expect we expect this to be 24-21 either way. That's very very difficult to sort out, and that's what makes it so stressful not just for these offenses but these opposing defenses because when you're thinking that it's going to be a low scoring game, one missed tackle can completely turn the tide. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, a couple more before. We let you go, Phil. Uh, what does the next few days look like for these two teams? I mean, they've had their media commitments. I know they've got private media stuff as well. But uh, what does it look like now? Just practice, or is there more stuff still to come? No, it's, it's, it's one more private media session for each side, and then yes, practice. Um, you know, they'll they'll have I think one more fan appearance as well. But as we get closer to the weekend, it's crazy. It's it's almost that that calm before the storm. You feel that you know the initial the initial momentum of an opening night starts to fade and then the player availability starts to pare down. And then as you get to the weekend here locally, that it gets very quiet with the players and you can just feel the tension build. And for us, you know, that's when, that's when us on the uh, NFL blitz on ESPN, we're going to be, we're going to be the loudest Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, all building up to the game. But in Vegas, it's going to be fan festivities and enjoyment while the players privately, quietly figuring out and, and finalizing their strategy is, as they head into, for many of these guys, what will be the most important game of their lives. Yeah, and uh, tell us as well, before we let you go, as far as stadiums go, and Allegiant Stadium, new on the scene as well. You know, we saw the fancy new uh, SoFi a couple of years ago. Where does this one rank for you? you? You would have been there a couple of times. Talk us through it for an Australian perspective who's never been there. Yeah, I mean, SoFi Stadium is, is kind of in a class of its own. I don't mean that to diminish Allegiant Stadium at all. Um, when When... Jerry's World opened in Dallas. That was the gold standard. And then SoFi opened, and that became the new gold standard. I mean, it was $5 billion U.S. to build the thing. Really hard to compare. And that, that became a centerpiece, not just for the NFL, but for the Olympic Games coming up in Los Angeles. I would say Vegas is at the top of that second tier, kind of on par with AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Jerry's World, as a stadium that will take your breath away. And I've been fortunate enough to cover a lot of stadiums in world sports. I've been, I've been at the MCG. I've been at the SCG. I've been at um, GNSA Arena in Brazil. I've, I've, you know, I've been at Wembley. I've, I've covered a lot of stadiums. SoFi is in a class of its own, but Allegiant still has that absolute wow factor and that unique element. They do a great job, especially for partisan support when you're here for a Raiders game, of making it absolutely deafening. And for a stadium that just doesn't have history because it's so new, it still feels very important, and the Raiders fans show out. Now, I've never been there for a neutral site game, such as the one we'll have uh, at Super Bowl 58, but the stadium, the, the layout, the, the Phoenix, the atmosphere, they had Bruce Buffer from the UFC <laughs> introducing the teams yesterday. I mean, if that doesn't get your, your blood pressure pumping a little bit, I don't know what will. So <laughs> I don't know exactly what they have in store for you know the immediacy of kickoff because it's a television product more than it's an in-person product, but... Super Bowl's passed. They've done a, they've done a great job of making the in-stadium atmosphere feel special. And in the entertainment capital of the world, I expect something absolutely breathtaking. Mm. Super Bowl Monday morning. Uh, it's going to be it's, it's appointment viewing. It's where NFL history is going to be made. So Allegiant Stadium is an appropriate venue for a game of this magnitude. Yeah, we can't wait for it. And before we let you go, I do have to ask you. I mean, Taylor Swift flying from Tokyo to Vegas, then to Melbourne. Uh, is she going to make it, Phil? I mean, we need to know this. Is she going to make it to Vegas in time? I think we've had all the bad luck with travel. I mean, there were some logistical issues, people coming in with storms on the West Coast. I know a few of uh, our Australian counterparts parts were grounded in 
San Francisco and Los Angeles when they came across because of some weather they're having there. And then once landing in Las Vegas, uh, U.S. President Joe Biden was on the tarmac and a lot of the planes couldn't move as, as he was looking to safely take off. So I would hope all the travel hurdles are behind for, for Taylor's sake. Um, but I, I also think she doesn't really have to deal with some of that, you know, the rest of us. She's not sitting there worried about, you know, getting her bag checked and layovers. I think she's flying at an elite level that she can sort it out if she needs to go through her set a little more quickly in Tokyo, yeah. get here to Vegas, turn around, and then continue on with the Australian leg of her tour. Um, I think she'll be just fine. Uh, I, I think so as well, and uh, I'm sure the 14, 16-hour trips on a private jet won't be uh, won't be too bad. Hey, Phil, it's always a pleasure to uh, catch up. We haven't done it for a while, so hopefully we can do it again very soon. Enjoy the festivities. Your eighth Super Bowl. You're on fire going, uh, going to Super Bowls at the moment. Hopefully this one's another blinder. Mate, great to chat to you. Uh, if, we, if you and I don't chat again, enjoy the game. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk again here real soon. Absolutely, we will. Phil Murphy there from ESPN talking all things Super Bowl Monday, this Monday, coming up with Jared Whateley and the crew. And you'll see Phil on the ESPN coverage as well. More Sporting Capital on the other side of this.